It's an unfortunate thing to me that the church of America doesn't have the influence it once had. Look at the early writings in America and you can see you can see scripture littered throughout the early writings and these all set the say set the stage for the way we do government, what our government was once set upon. If you go into Washington DC and you walk along some of the streets there around the Capitol, you can actually see verses inscribed on the stone walls. And education once used to be built off of a foundation of prayer, learning scripture, and reading scripture. There used to be respect for the church and the leadership of the church, but now we hear fighting, we hear of arguing that splits churches, we hear of denominations that have split. What kind of message does that send to a non-believing world? As time goes, we hear scandals and even more scandals. We see pastors leaving our secretaries, embezzling money from churches, cheating on taxes, doing indecent, grotesque things to youth. But, you know, it doesn't stop with the leadership. We hear the same, the same thing with the average layperson in the church, leaving with secretaries, embezzling money from their businesses, cheating on their taxes. We hear stories of hatred towards people that aren't, they're, they're different than us in the church. And so, maybe they're ultra poor, maybe they're going through a psychological problem, maybe, maybe it's struggling with an addiction, a family struggle of some sort of sexual sin. Their situation's totally uncomfortable, but maybe we treat them with some kind of, yeah, a little bit of love here and there. And maybe we hope from a distance until it just gets a little too uncomfortable. You know, and these may be over-exaggerations. They may be just seldom incidences. But, but these things have hurt the church and its testimony. Deeply hurt our testimony. Especially in light of all these media, the media posting these incidences on the news and making it known. What kind of message does that send to a non-believing world? We have opinions on how things should be done, or maybe we've done it before, and so we have experience of how it should be done in the church, and at that time it, it looked successful then. So when we come alongside others that they haven't done it before, or somebody who's doing it differently, we talk to them with a tone instead of sitting back and listening and trying to find and gather understanding and realizing that maybe God is using them to reach people that you couldn't reach. And maybe God's trying to use them with you to reach people that you alone couldn't reach. And will it really, you know, I wonder if we really understand the power of the testimony of what God is doing in and through us. The power of our lives laid out before one another. People are watching our lives left and right. They're looking in from the outside, trying to look to see, are you really what you say you are? Can they see Christ in me? Can they see Christ in you? Do we represent Christ? Do we know and understand that as Romans 8, Romans 8 points out, that the same Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the grave is the same Spirit that lives in you? Same spirit that lives in me. Ephesians 5.1 says this. He says, 
Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Do we do that so people see God's mercy, His grace, His truth, His righteous acts, His goodness, His forgiveness, His love? Maybe this is coming across a little heavy-handed. Maybe it's causing up within you a little bit of a little tension. I'm okay with that this morning, to be honest. <clears throat> because I think these are things we really got to wrestle through and, and question. And I, I hope to show you why as we go through this. I hope to take us from a place of where, yeah, maybe there is some tension in this, to, okay, the tension, actually, it's a good thing. And it, may, it spurs us on to do the good, the right thing. Matthew 5:13 to 16 says this. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but what good is it if it loses its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a, a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Catch that, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Do we realize this is more than an action, but it's a choice of attitude too? It's not going to be easy. As a matter of fact, there's times where it's going to probably be very hard. Right? Sometimes it's, not even, it's nothing out of our wanting, but it's strictly out of obedience to what God is asking us to do. I think of Jesus in the garden right before his, the beatings, before cur- the cursings that were, they spoke to him, before the physical act of even being put up on the cross. That wasn't just an act of want. He struggled with the pain, the guilt, and the shame that he was about to face. That he would suffer for, for me. And for you. And the separation that would come from God the Father because of our sin and our shame, our guilt. For Jesus, it was an act of obedience, knowing that this was the right act done at the right time for people that did not understand. Philippians 2.8 says this, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. But, you know, it's interesting because we see that there was joy in that death in the cross. Joy came out of it. So let's look at Hebrews 12 too. It says this, it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I believe the joy came because he lived out his life in a manner worthy of his calling. To die for and save a lost world of sinners. People that needed to be saved from eternal separation from God. He was obedient to the Father. This morning I want to hang on to a phrase that Paul penned in his letter letter to us through Ephesians. It's a phrase that I believe is calling us not only to action, but in deep thought and desire to see it come to life in us. It isn't something we do on our own, but... It's a response to the Spirit of God leading and revealing the truth of Christ to us and other believers. Here is the phrase that I want to hang on to this morning. Live a life worthy of your calling. 
Because this leads to an even greater implication. It moves us towards unity. So I want us to hang on to that phrase. You ever wonder, because this is how my mind works sometimes, you guys ever wonder what would happen if Jesus didn't care about or thought less of his calling? Right? Do you ever wonder what it would have been like if he kept living on the fence, being tossed to and fro, this way, that way? He kept, he allowed his desire to fit in maybe, to be liked. Maybe he wanted a greater following than he had. Maybe manipulate a situation so he wouldn't have to, to tell the people around him the truth. Because he knew it would make them mad and maybe lose the relationship. No. (laughs) Jesus chose to live his life in a manner worthy of his calling. It was a high calling. That's that's something else to hang on to. It was a high calling. It was a calling that he needed to do because God asked him. And so he responded. Right? The people were dying all around. People were dying to this deadly disease called sin, and he knew he was the one who had the antidote to bring people back to life. He knew that the right action, what the right action was, and he must do it because it was the best thing for everyone. He knew the ramification of sin, and that no one, and I mean no one, would be able to stand up to those ramifications of sin, and he would take them for us. That's love. That's true love. This is the kind of love he puts in his followers too, by the way, in us. It's a, it's a unifying love. It's an endeavoring, diligent love that understands before Christ that my, my destiny was separation from any grace that God has upon me now, and it will be, and it would be ultimate suffering. That's not a happy thought. It's the kind of love that will seek for another person to experience God's bountiful love. Actually, in Paul, Roman, in Romans, he says that God lavishly, and the word actually more or less means liberally pours out his love on us, so much so that it overflows. There's too, there's, it's like it's almost too much love, more than you need. The problem is that as a follower of Christ, there's a war within me. I mean, I think we can all agree to this one. I want to do what's honorable. I want to do what's right before God. But I also want to do what pleases me. What adds to my ego sometimes. Hey, look at Greg. Sometimes I live in a manner worthy of God's calling. Sometimes I live in a manner that doesn't match up. What about you? Do you ever find, your, ever find yourself struggling with doing the right thing in the church setting, maybe outside the church setting, doing the right thing with, towards another brother, sister in Christ, or even to those outside the church, maybe those captive, held captive to the things of this world? you ever find it hard to do the right thing? There is a war within us. There is a struggle. It's hard to live a life Hard to live in a manner worthy of this calling, this calling of God. And all throughout Ephesians and much of Paul's writings is a theme of walking in a manner worthy. Worthy, another way of saying this is basically living a life 
worthy of the gospel. The first part of Ephesians is very much the reason or the basis for our unity. We've seen that over the last many weeks, the first three chapters. And now Paul's giving us, he's starting off this, this dissertation of practical ways of, of how to live out that unity, what it looks like. And actually even what reward comes from it. So let's, let's do this. If you guys would turn with me to Ephesians 4, we're going we're gonna to jump into our passage. Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 6. And you know what? We've been, let's do this. Let's stand as we read this. <clears throat> Ephesians 4, 1 to 6, it says this. And I'm reading out of the ESV uh, so you guys know. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called, to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You may be seated. So, there are some pretty heavy, th- to me this is a, a very challenging set of verses. And I think, you know, this calling is a really high calling to live a life worthy of the gospel. And so I didn't want, I don't want to play it down in any way, shape, or form this morning. I actually want to set, this, set the bar kind of high. Not because you need to do it perfectly, because God is a, God works with us. He meets us right where we're at through our struggles. He wants to walk that road alongside us. But I want us to understand, we're talking about a calling from a holy God who is perfect, who is completely blameless, who knew no sin. And he has called us into his kingdom to be used by him, to be loved by him, to spend eternity with him. So I want to look, what is the calling? What makes it worthy and where does this calling come from? Let's look at that real quick. So who's giving the calling? It's God. That's why, that's why we can say this is a really high calling. This is a calling from God. The presumption here in these verses too is that you've already been called. By being here today, you're being called. By being here today, Really, you have to make a choice to follow that call or not, or to deny it. Jesus wants you to be part of this calling. He does not want you to be apart from him. If you've never said yes to following Jesus, I urge you to look into this and to make that choice, because there is no better choice than following Jesus. But the question, right, what is the call? This calling, it's the work of salvation. It's believing in the work of Jesus upon the cross. The price of sin being paid. The the price that you and I couldn't pay. It's too big for our bank account. Only Jesus could do it. It's him raising from the dead. It's the effect of sin being conquered. 
Eternal separation from God. It's his coming back for believers to take us home with him into eternity. That's the finished work of redemption. The finished work of salvation. And then there's this part that you and I play as followers of Christ. That's all part of this salvation. It's a good part though and it's filled with hope that leads to this everlasting peace and joy. It's God with us. It's not God somewhere else. It's God with us. That's actually the Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us. It's, 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 his, it's the riches of his glory being poured out upon us. It's the power of the Spirit of God working in us, convicting and testifying to the things of God. It's showing us and revealing those things to us. Rooting us and grounding us in God's love, like as Ephesians 3, 20 and following talks about. Paul is urging us to live in a manner worthy of this calling. So, next question has to be, what is a worthy manner? And Paul tells us in the first couple verses, humility, patience, or gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. So let's look at these real quick. Humility, the opposite of pride. Pride says, hey, look at me. Pride says, listen to me, because I, I have the answers. Pride says, I know the way, I will tell you how to do this. Pride says, look, I have rights. But humility says this, I'm going to look to God, because he has the answers. I'm going to listen to him, because he has the truth, the answers. God wants to work through you and me together to accomplish his goal. I want to read Isaiah 57:15 to you. I decided I wanted to read out of a different translation than what I had on my paper here this morning, so bear with me for a minute. So I have Isaiah 57:15 says, "The high and lofty one, God, who lives in eternity, the holy one says this: I live in a high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restored I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. Humility. If we look at, you know, you, if you want another picture of what humility looks like, look at Jesus when he goes and he washes the disciples' feet. John chapter 13, if you're interested in looking at that. It's John 13, uh, verses 1 to 17. He takes on one of the lowest positions as a servant to honor and to lift up and to make an example of what it looks like for us to be followers of Christ. How we should serve. Gentleness. Humility is the attitude that leads to the action of gentleness. Gentleness is wrapped in understanding that God ordains, He leads, and he convicts and therefore does not assert authority over. He doesn't force direction, but he chooses to be considerate of others. Gentleness is very much tied to mercy, by the way. It leaves me with this question. What would churches be like if we displayed true gentleness to one another within all that happens? Conflicts will probably disappear. 
And there would probably be great strength and power in how we serve. Patience. A third, a third characteristic of this calling. Humility, gentleness, patience. Patience, long-suffering. Patience is not a happy word for many people. And if you tell me you're a patient person, I will follow you sometime in a car and find out you're not. <laughs> Interesting thing about patience, right? It's not a, a right-now thing. It's a journey of time. It's a process of time. Because actually what it means, it means long-suffering. To suffer long. To suffer for the long haul. It's, it's, it's handling faults of others without choosing to avenge those wrongs that they've done. It's not exerting my way, but it's being patient. It's, it's giving some time for them to figure those things out. It's choosing to suffer as long as needed. Bearing with one another in love. Or another word that could be used there is forbearing. The choice of patience can lead to the action of bearing with one another. And I, the NASB says it this way, and this is like in our, we kind of sometimes take this as, as, this is a bad word kind of thing. Show tolerance. That's how the NASB says it. Be tolerant. Show tolerance. Which kind of gives us more understanding to what it means to bear with one another. Choosing to suffer as long as needed means we choose to show restraint. It means we give grace. It means we choose to forgive and we're slow, slow, slow to anger. And I don't know about you guys, but maybe that sounds like a burden. And you know what? It is sometimes. To be honest, if we're honest with ourselves, it is sometimes a real burden to have to be patient. But a righteous burden soaked in God's love becomes a joy to carry out. Let me say that again. A righteous burden soaked in God's love becomes a joy to carry out. God's love is not like any other love. It's sacrificial. It's peace-loving. It's hopeful. It's patient. keeps no record of wrongs when somebody's done wrong to you. It believes that justice will take place in the right way and promote the right actions. It's other-centered. It's giving with the hope of the right return. Not my return, but what is actually best for that person. And I want to say this. This bearing with one another doesn't mean we turn a blind eye to sin, by the way. It does not even come close to meaning that. It means that we walk alongside them to restore them gently. It means not pushing my preferences, my opinions on a matter, how I think it should be done, but only standing firm and true in the foundational black and white truths of Scripture. That's the place that we live. We don't live outside that. Philosophical differences. Okay, you may think it should be done that way. I maybe think it should be done that way. Humility leads the way for gentleness. Gentleness opens the door for patience. When wrapped in love, patience spurs us on to bear with one another all the while towards the big win in the context of our verses here. And it's this. A life worthy of a calling, of our calling, leads towards unity. These things push us towards unity. We have already been unified in Christ by the Spirit of God. And because of that, 
we do these things, it actually builds upon and it strengthens the unity of us. This leads us to the fullness of God, unleashing the Spirit to do more abundantly than all that we ask or we think, according to the power that is at work within us, God's work within us. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 3.20. The Spirit of God at work within us and our response to it leads towards living a life worthy of our calling, which in turn maintains and it actually strengthens unity. And as unity strengthens, we are empowered and given freedom to live, live a life worthy of this calling. It's kind of a give and take thing. Paul never explains that this is an individual task, by the way, without the understanding that it is in need of and part of the working of us together, the entirety of us. I'm only part of the pie. I'm only a piece of this puzzle of what God's doing, the church. I may have an important role being a pastor, but you know what? My role really does not trump your role because we're all part of the same body. Just that God's using me in a different way. And he wants to use you. God wants me, wants to take my thinking beyond being about me to thinking about we, the entirety of this congregation. The but not just this congregation, the whole body of Christ, the church worldwide. You can't be me, I can't be you. Right? You don't see things the way I do, and I don't see the things the way you guys do. You don't have my personality, my history, and I don't have yours. Unity does not come through us conforming to one another and being uniform in appearance. It's not where unity comes from at all. This unity, it's something intrinsic. It's transformational. Conformity and uniformity come from this an outside force pressing upon you. And this unity that we're talking about, it comes from, it comes from the Spirit's working in our inner being producing worthy lives. It's God's Spirit in us transforming us Godly, biblical unity empowered by God's Spirit where Christ dwells in hearts through faith doesn't take away from individuality or diversity. It actually uses it to reveal the fullness of God. Actually, I want to read that again. Godly, biblical unity empowered by God's Spirit where Christ dwells in hearts through faith it doesn't take away from individuality or diversity, but it actually uses it to reveal the fullness of God. Not just to you and me, but to the world outside. But this takes an action on our part. It takes pursuing peace. Catch the action word there, pursuing. It takes, uh, it takes actively pursuing peace. A peace that looks for reconciliation and chooses to act in love. It's more than an attitude, it's an actual response to a God who sought peace, peace with us, his enemy. He perfectly bears with us because of his love for us. You and me, the image bearers of God. He doesn't drag us along, but he meets us right where we're at. Right in the midst of all of our circumstances, all the things that are going on in life. 
He doesn't condemn us, but he pours out grace upon us. He doesn't seek vengeance against us, but he forgives. He lifts us up when we don't have the strength to stand on our own. He encourages us when we feel that, man, I, just, I, I got nothing else to give. Can't go on anymore. He speaks truth when the lies are plaguing our minds. And the example has been set before us of what this, what this looks like. When we pursue peace, it acts as a, as a bonding, holding us together. It brings about safety and freedom when we pursue peace. And I dare say this, that it actually brings joy that believers and non-believers will see and hear, that they'll feel and they'll experience. So here's a question. Are you actively pursuing peace within all of the body of Christ? Is it a choice? Is it an action? Is it a decision that you have made? Because the stakes are high, guys. You need it. I need it. You need it from me. I need it from you. Those that Christ doesn't know, they need to see it exemplified through us inside these walls and when we're together outside these walls. They need to hear it. They don't need to hear of more denominations splitting. They need to see and feel and hear the, the other side of it, us together. In verse 1, Paul says this. He says, I urge you. Another translation says, beseech you. Another translation says, I implore you to live a life worthy of this calling. This, this urge, this is a strong word. This isn't just, in, in, in its original language, it's not a word that that uh, has this idea that I'm trying to make it happen with not, or that I hope it might happen. It's actually a word that says, I'm, I'm going to live as if this really is going to happen. I am going to live in such a way as if I will live a worthy life of that calling. We have access to all that we need to live a worthy life, by the way. Take hold of that. Don't figure out how to do it, though. I know that's kind of a funny phrase to say, don't figure out how to do it, because this is why. Just move in that direction. God's going to complete the work in you He began. It's His work in you and through you. He will do it. Trust Him. Trust Him. And just move in that direction. I encourage you, if there are people you guys have issues with or you don't, like how they do things, pursue peace. It starts with you, not them. Forgive them. Show them grace. Love them. Give them room to grow. For, pray for them. Pray for yourselves to see the value of them and their thoughts, their point of view. God may be using them to bolster his fullness in you. If you're finding it hard to do this, though, Go back and ask yourself these questions. Am I being humble? Am I being gentle? Am I being patient? Am I bearing, bearing with them through this? Do I love them as God loves them? Look towards what you guys have in common. We've looked at four characteristics, right? Humility, gentleness, patience, Bearing with one another. And without these, unity falls flat on its face. 
They are the basis to strengthen the unity of the Spirit. Unity is it's kind of like a fire. If you stoke it and you pour the resources on it, what happens? The fire burns hotter, right? What happens when you don't tend the fire? It tends to die off. So let's do this. Let's, what are the logs of unity? Let's look at verses 4 to 6. Because Paul says, he says, There's one body, one spirit, one hope, belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And it's interesting because you, can, you see the Godhead in these verses. One body, one spirit, one hope. We're a body made up of many different parts. Different giftings. We have the same end purpose goal, though. To glorify, to lift up, to proclaim God. And the interesting piece in all of this is how we are tied together. It's the same spirit that ties all believers together and dwells within us individually. Not some force, not some decision or different spirits. And it's not part of the spirit in you and part of the spirit in me either, by the way. The Spirit is fully in me, fully in you, those that know Christ. The Spirit's fully in me, full in you, connecting us, pointing us to the same head, pointing us to Jesus. It is a Spirit connecting us together, working God's will in and through us together. It is a Spirit who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, our one hope, eternal life with God. In God's kingdom. This transcends all race. Transcends history. Transcends our social statuses. Gender and more. It's beyond that. It goes deeper. Could it be that if I don't fulfill my role in the body. That I'm actually taking away from your ability to be all that you can be in the body. Think about that for a second. Could it be that if I don't fulfill my role, then I'm actually taking away from your ability to fulfill your role in the body? One Lord, one faith, one baptism. This is all wrapped around Jesus. He is the Lord. We are his people. He is the possessor of our souls by his blood, not by anything else. He is the head to the body of believers. He suffered one death. One, re- one resurrection. We are united through this one faith, this truth. And this faith alone is what saves. The faith that says there is only one way, and that's found in Jesus himself. John fourteen six. he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man shall come to the Father but through me. He is the way. When we come in faith, we're baptized into the body by the Spirit. And it speaks of our identity and to whom we belong, to Christ. This baptism, though, that we're seeing in these verses is probably not that. It's probably the water baptism where it's basically, it takes place of circumcision from the Old Testament where it's, it's this outward sign of I am God's people being shared with other people. It's this outward sign of what God's doing the Spirit of God is doing in us, regenerating us, making us new. It's this a public acknowledgement that says, 
I believe in this one Lord through this one faith. Have you been baptized? I, I encourage you. Man, my it, sorry, my eye is itching. I encourage you to make this acknowledgement of baptism that brings you into deeper unity. If you haven't been baptized, that's something else that's on those welcome cards. You can write that there and let us know, hey, I'd love to be baptized. Another log of unity here, it's, it's one God and Father of all, over all, through all, and in all. This one's all wrapped around God, God the Father. Paul's not talking, by the way, in this about when he says overall, of all, overall, through all, in all. He's not talking about pantheism where God's in that tree and he's, or we're going to worship all these different gods. He's not talking that way. And it's not universalism with this idea that, okay, well, at the end of the day, God will save everybody. Jesus makes it really clear. Some, some will be saved to eternal life and some will be forever condemned to eternal punishment. That's hard, sad news. And my hope is if, if you don't know Christ, if you have not said, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, that he took my sin, that I couldn't, I couldn't pay for that. I believe that he rose from the grave and conquered death. I believe that he's going to come back to take me to, to be with him in eternity. I encourage you to say yes to that if you haven't already. Because I don't want anybody in this room to suffer eternal punishment. Even though we deserve it. Because I'm a sinful man. We're all sinners. We all, we all have sinned. We all deserve that. But God in his grace and his love for us said, look, I'm going to go. I'm going to stand in the gap for you. There's one God, the same God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Three persons, one God, perfectly united, completely in agreement, working in unison, never to go outside the character and will of each other. He is creator in control over all creation, not contained by creation, sustains all creation, is present in all of creation, and actively working through his church. These are the logs of unity that we want to throw onto the fire for unity to burn. One body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. The correct logs in a worthy life stokes the fire of unity. A strong unity breeds an even more so worthy life. I want to read this illustration to you. I think that really gives us some clarity here. It says, four years ago, and this was actually written, I think, it was, I think this was now 14 years ago, one of our Hennepin District Court judges was censored for 10 engagements with a 26-year-old prostitute. Last week, another judge was removed from office for buying sex from 15 male prostitutes. One of our state Supreme Court justices had to stay out of the decision last week because he's under investigation by the Board of Standards for Ethical Violations. What a mess. It was not a good week for the Minnesota judiciary. The events go a long way to encourage citizens' suspicions of a lot of rottenness in this entire system. But what I want to illustrate from this is the meaning of the word worthy. We say the man proved to be unworthy of his judgeship, or he was living unworthily of his high office. 
What I mean when I say this is that the office of Hennepin District Court Judge merits a higher level of integrity. This, the position is worthy of greater moral vigilance and higher character. The judgeship desi- deserves a better man. Note that even though I said the man proved unworthy of his office, what I am focusing on is the worth of the office, not the man. I am saying that the value of the office should have kept the man from desecrating it. The Supreme Court last week said, by disclosing his identity and his judicial position to the prostitutes, moreover, he made even greater the risk of discredit to himself and the judiciary. In other words, the honor and value of his position in the judiciary should have been worth so much to him that he would not dare bring it into disrepute. The greatness of his calling should have constrained him to lead a life worthy of his call. But it didn't. And now the public has much less regard, not only for him, but worse, for the Hennepin County District Court. May we as Christ followers realize, may we know and understand the value of of the office of being a Christ follower. Jesus said his yoke is light, and it is. We have done a great job of making following Jesus a really hard thing. It isn't about following rules. It's simply about loving God and then loving others. If you've decided to be a follower of Christ, if, you, if, if you're struggling with that even, and you're hung up because of people you know that they say they're Christians and yet they're big hypocrites. By the way, don't look at me because I'm a big hypocrite too because I screw up quite often. I might hide it better than some sometimes. Not always, let me tell you. But look at the office, so to say, of following Christ. Better yet, you know what? Look at Jesus. He's the perfect picture of what this is all supposed to look like. And until Jesus comes back, there will be believers, there's going to be followers of Christ who totally mess this up. And I'll be one of them. Because I'm not perfect. I pray that God works through me to... But I apologize. I apologize for our failures. And I beg you to look at the true picture of what God's love and compassion, His mercy and forgiveness, and His truth and His grace look like. May we as followers of Christ ever so seriously understand the power and the impact of the words Paul writes. Live a life worthy of your calling. The reward is, is this. It's in experiencing the fullness of God. It's getting to experience that. And you and I get to do that together as we pour into this. It isn't a guilt thing. It's not something you muster up. It's, it's, it's a responsive attitude and lifestyle. It's choosing to act in a way that says, I agree with the Spirit of God, trusting grace, trusting God's grace when I mess this up, and seeing how unity between me and other followers of Christ is strengthened. And as unity is strengthened, I'm empowered to live a life even more so worthy of that calling. Empowering you to live a life even more so worthy of that calling. And as we do that together, I do believe we get to experience the fullness. Even more so, we get to experience the fullness of God as we do this together. I encourage you guys in the bulletin... There are questions, and as you guys can, I'm wordy, so (laughs) the questions are kind of wordy, but here's what I challenge you guys with the questions this week. 
There's four sets of questions. Take the first set of questions tomorrow and wrestle through them a little bit. Take the second set of questions and wrestle through them Tuesday, third, Wednesday, and the fourth Thursday. And then maybe on Friday, go back through all those questions. Live a life worthy of your calling. It's a high calling. Aim that direction with the expectation that it will happen. Not hoping, not, ah, I don't know if it will happen, but God, Paul says, look, I urge you to do this in such a manner where you expect it to happen. Because God's going to meet you in the middle of it. The Spirit will meet you in the middle of that. And as you do that, we'll strengthen one another. And we'll move towards greater unity and build that unity and strengthen it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Pour out your grace upon us. Help us to understand, Lord, that this is, it, it's a tough subject, but there is so much joy filled within it. There's so much joy that comes out of it as we, as we aim in this direction, as we choose humility, as we choose patient, gentleness and patience, as we choose to bear with one another out of love. Give us the grace. Help us to understand your grace so that we can pour out that same grace. We just pray that your spirit moves through us this morning as we go. Thank you, Jesus, for your word and your truth. In your son's name, amen.